Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? I got some good news and some bad news. Okay, give it to me. Well, do you want the good news first or the bad news? I don't care. Whatever order you want to go. Okay, we'll start with the, uh, how about we start with the bad news? Excellent. We have not been bought by the New York Times. Like Wordle. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So so no seven-figure payday. They don't care. Yeah. By the way, I got my Wordle in two today. Yes. I've already heard this from you. You dropped it in a, a text group and uh, pr- happy for you there, too. Yeah. Thank you. It was five for me. So. Two is better than five. Clearly. Okay. That was the bad news. Here's the good okay, news. Okay. What's the good news? We have not been bought by the New York Times. You know, I... I think you I think I think that you were ready for that to be a super funny joke. I it, this is kind of one of those moments where I just feel like long silence like okay, good good try. Good try. We still have yeah. complete editorial control. Yeah, how long did it take you to think of that? Joke? Well, I was going to use it last week and totally forgot. Okay. It was a little well, bit more uh time sensitive or time relevant last week. I got to tell you. So here's my favorite thing about the New York Times. I know we got a lot of people, even this week, been a lot of conversation about the New York Times. But I got to tell you, New York Times games, hands down, they're they're fantastic. I play all kinds of New York Times games. It is fantastic. I love, um, sometimes I do the crossword. I love spelling bee on there. Uh, Vertex or Vortex, I think it's Vertex. It's, It's good. They got a good game. And and you can do a, a games subscription for like, I don't know, it's like two ninety nine a month or something like that, where you're not a, you don't have to do the full New York Times subscription. You just do a game subscription, and it's very very good, very good. All right, okay. Well, that that's the uh, Wordle section of today's episode. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we could get a, a Wordle thing together for the annual meeting. Oh. All right. Here's my question. I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing these like copy. Can you do that? Could you come up with? I, I think a- you could. You just have to come up with some five letter words. And I'm sure there's a Wordle generator out there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, if we can figure, if we can find that out, Wordle generator, we can come up with five letter SBC words. Adrian. No, that's six letters. I have an idea. I've already got an idea for a word, but right, I can't, I'm not going to say what it is because we got We'll put it in there. We'll have to see if we can figure that out. Yeah. Because that would be fun. Yeah. All right. Before we get started with the news this week, we do want to thank our sponsor, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. All the upheaval and disruption over the past two years have left many asking, what does ministry look like now? The Ministry Now Conference will answer this question, and on March 22nd to 24th, experienced ministry leaders from across the nation will gather at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, to explore how God's churches can thrive in this ever-changing ministry context. Founded on an unyielding commitment to biblical truth, built by expert practitioners, and designed to encourage and equip God's people in every area of ministry, this gathering will empower you to live your calling wherever you serve God. So join them in Fort Worth, Texas on March 22nd to 24th and reserve your tickets now at swbts.edu slash ministrynow2022. That's swbts.edu slash ministrynow2022. Can't believe that's just going to be next month, Amy. We're only like five or six weeks away. Yeah. The the spring flies by 
once we get here. So It absolutely does. Okay, we start with the IMB, Amy. They met last week for their trustee meeting here in the spring and celebrated some great news on record-breaking offerings. And as we mentioned on last week's episode, commissioned a host of new missionaries to the field. That's right. So typically this is what happens. We'll get the release about their commissioning and then we will follow up with the story that focuses on their business. So the Lottie Moon Christmas offering gifts through the first four months of the current year, they're up 16.1% over last year. It's just incredible. They're getting tons of uh, reports of record-breaking Lottie offerings. And so their combined revenue is currently running 13.6% ahead of last year, just because of Lottie and CP. So really incredible. Something else that I found interesting is they're just pointing out that churches that have never given to missions through the IMB before have now made contact with a missionary and they are giving. So that uh, that idea of actually knowing someone or talking to someone on the field makes a difference there. The pipeline is increasing it says for the first time in IMB's history, future commitments to retired missionaries are fully funded. So really, really incredible, incredible stuff it says they're also diversifying teams. Uh, so that's important. That's been a goal that was laid out sometime back. So really positive movement particularly in the area of financial stability. And obviously, as we remember the last 10 years, uh, have that's been a tough conversation for Southern Baptist. So it's great to hear this now in 2022. Well, congratulations, Paul Chitwood and team. That brings us to another trustee meeting. WMU had their trustee meeting last month. We got a story on that now. All right. So record setting year is what they celebrated in WMU. So they said that 2021 was a record-setting year in spite of all the challenges, that they reached 49 countries through World Crafts, Pure Water, Pure Love, Christian Women's Job Corps, Missions, Resource Collaboration, International WMU, and Partnership through with the WMU Foundation through Heart Fund Grand Requests. That, um, that they were reaching people from Bangladesh through Zambia. So just some great updates. This was, a, this was a, a meeting via Zoom. They did talk about the possible future sale of the building in Birmingham. So that's been something that, that's been on the table for a little while now. So they're continuing to discuss that. But it seems like there were a lot of great a lot of great things. They did close out 2020 in the black, thanks to gifts, grants, donations, stock market, things like that. So that's really good as well. Um, so just a lot of after after some tough seasons, especially with the pandemic, it was good to have some things to celebrate. Yes, and uh, one of the big things that I am really proud of the WMU for and what they do is the Pure Water, Pure Love global grants that they do to support clean water resources. They gave away nearly $400,000 in grants this past year to help support clean water resources across the world. So really, really cool thing that they do over there. I I know it's something probably a lot of people don't know WMU does, but it's a great, great ministry of the WMU. That's pure water, pure love. And um, $400,000 last year given away in that. All right. Amy, in an update from last week's story about Willie McLaurin moving over to the interim presidency role at the executive committee, several ethnic groups in the SBC have applauded that this week in a statement of affirmation, thanks, and encouragement. The NAF president, Frank Williams, and executive director, Dennis Mitchell, sort of spearheaded this, but 
also endorsed by Bob Cena, Hispanic mobilizer. And it just essentially says that the leaders of these ethnic fellowships, they congratulate Willie McLaurin. And, and it says in affirming this selection, although it is an interim appointment, we encourage all Southern Baptists to unite in celebrating this historic moment. Talking about this, is the first non-Anglo to serve as president of an SBC entity. Um, so really significant thing. We've had a number of, of stories and people who have pointed out the moment that we're in with that and the, the ethnic fellowships and the leaders, they wanted to, to recognize it, to acknowledge it. And that's incredibly important. They said, we call on all Southern Baptists to enthusiastically affirm the biblical principles stated in Revelation 7 nine to 10 and first Corinthians 12, 12 through 30 that unite and bind us together, which enable us to celebrate the richness of the diversity in the body of Christ to the glory of God. So you can see that. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. You can see the full statement. That was, that was kind of pulling some, yeah. some segments of it, but yeah, full statement along with all the stories that we mentioned in the podcast each and every week are available over at the show notes at sbcthisweek.com. A couple of more updates from the executive committee. The Southern Baptist Foundation gave 10% of their annual earnings to the cooperative program through the executive committee this past week. Yeah. So this is something kind of like a tithe, you know, that they do every year. They give 10% of net profits annually to the cooperative program. Um, and this year it was nearly $117,000. So there's a, a, a link to that. Uh, that brings it to nearly $400,000. Uh, for the total amount that the Southern Baptist Foundation has given to the CP since they started this uh, sort of annual thing in 2014. Um, so got a great, great story about that and a picture of Warren Peake handing the check to Willie McLaurin. So we'll put that there, but a uh, great, great day for them to do that. Yeah. One final thing, the guidepost investigation continues with the executive committee. There was an update this past week. They've interviewed 32 current or former executive committee staff members and 54 current or former trustees, as well as abuse survivors who have reached out affirmatively to the guide post investigative team. They also know that they have uh, interviews still ongoing, Amy, with 21 interviews of current or former EC trustees scheduled along with 16 others in the process of being scheduled. And they've been receiving data from the executive committee. Four terabytes of data so far received in documents, as well as about 4,200 legal documents from Gunther Jordan and Price, the, the law firm who, the long term law firm that has worked with the executive committee as uh, they have been providing information to them. So, a lot going on, a lot of data for guideposts yeah. to sort through, and uh, just really a short amount of time, just a couple of months left in the investigation. Right. They've got a lot. And, uh, you know, this is, is one of those things. These updates are very important, obviously, uh, for you and me, you know, doing this podcast, we're in that list uh, of of people that they need yeah, to talk to. We're one to, of the 32. That's, <laughs> we're two of the 32. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we've got a lot of folks clearly that are cooperating. But what I appreciate is how the task force is continuing to put these updates out. Because it's kind of hard on a report like this where it's ongoing, you think, well, what is the update going to say? It's still happening, you know, but they were able to share some specifics for people to know this is, this is how far things have gotten. And then now we've got, you know, a few months left. So we will see. So yeah, just a couple of months left on that. We expect the report to come in May to the task force. 
All right, Amy, over to the San Antonio area, First Baptist Sutherland Springs. Remember the uh, mass shooting back in November of 2017? Well, this past week, a federal district judge ordered the U.S. government to pay more than $230 million to survivors of that 2017 massacre. Yeah, that's a huge, uh, huge amount of damages. And the the determination was that the U.S. government was 60% liable for the massacre. And this, is, this came from a July 2021 ruling that the U.S. Air Force had failed to report to the FBI the shooter's bad conduct discharge in 2014. Um, he had been convicted of assaulting his wife and stepson. And so what happened was he was able to purchase the rifle that was used in the shooting because his name was not in a database that would have disqualified that purchase. And so, uh, so what they essentially said uh, was in the ruling was that the shooter was 40% responsible for the crime. The U S air force was 60%. Uh, and this is just a reminder of how important it is to on anything when we need to tell, you know, we need to report, we need to tell, we need to know. Um, and this is, uh, the, this is, is similar to that. So, but this was something that happened in a Southern Baptist church, first Baptist church, Sutherland Springs. And, uh, that included the senior pastor, Frank Pomeroy, who lost, a daughter in the attack. Now he's, he's not commenting on this at all out of respect for the victims. Um, but a very, just a very difficult story trauma that does not go away. They did. If you remember, we did the story, they demolished the church building where the shooting occurred and replaced it with an open air memorial. So yeah, continue to be in prayer for them. I know, you know, it's just, we're going to come up on the five-year anniversary of this later in the year. So uh, I know that's something we'll probably note down in November when we get there. All right, Amy, some great news from New Orleans. They've got a new chair of women's ministry named after Barbara Ochester. That's right. The Barbara Ochester Chair of Women's Ministry uh, was announced January 27th at New Orleans uh, Seminary and uh, really just honored her as a pioneer in women's ministry and uh, really demonstrating their desire to continue that. Emily Dean, who's the assistant professor of of ministry to women, and she's also director of ministry to women academic programs. She will occupy the chair. So a lot of people know um, Barbara Ochester. She's done tons of conferences and and speaking on um, women's ministry, things like that. I have a, I have a great Barbara Ochester story though. Okay. This This is why I love and will always love Barbara Ochester. Um, and her husband, Harold Ochester. Uh, but they would not remember me, wouldn't even recognize me on the street. You never know. They may be big friends of the pod. They could be. They could be. All right. And, but I bet they wouldn't remember this. They wouldn't know this was me. 2012 in New Orleans at the SBC annual meeting, I'm in the elevator. Okay. And at this stage, uh, the kids are with us. Mary is, I think, eight years old. Drew is six years old, about to turn seven. Um, but they're at the room. I'm in the elevator by myself and the Ochesters get on. They don't know me. I knew who they were because Harold Ochester had been a trustee at Southern when I was there, things like that. So I I knew who they were. Somebody gets on the elevator and has a, like a baby in their arms and they make some comment in the elevator. They, they, you know, so you got people, people, two different kinds of people in the world, folks who chat in the elevators, folks who don't. The Ochesters, they chat with people in the elevators. Um, They make some comment about the baby, you know, sweet or whatever. 
And then she turns to me and says, you'll understand one day. And I looked at her and I said, oh, ma'am, I've got an eight-year-old and a a six-year-old. I know exactly. And the Chesters, they... They had a, I mean, they have a very dramatic way, I think, of, of, uh, you know, interacting or whatever. And he, it was like he jumped back because he was shocked that I could be old enough to have children. And I got to tell you, at that stage in my life, you know, I mean, I'm, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't 40 yet, but I was looking at 40. I wasn't too, too far from it. I was like, I I was feeling pretty good. So, so the only knew. So the Ochesters always have a special place in my heart because they thought I was young when I wasn't. And, uh, and, and that's my Barbara Ochester story. I'm sure like she would never remember that, uh, but it was She'd be mortified if she heard that story. Oh no, I think it's a great story. She probably feel like, Oh, I made her feel good. Like she was young, but it was, it was fantastic. It was the sweetest thing. She just said, she said, you'll understand one day. And I was like, oh, ma'am, I have had the sleepless nights already. You know, I've, uh, but I've also had the wonder. I can't even hold my kid anymore, you know, but it was really sweet. They're, they, they're a neat couple. And uh, I have, have met their daughters. You know, they have some, some children, some adult daughters, and I've met a couple of them through the years. They're a, a, a family with a great legacy, which will continue through this chair. Absolutely, it will. And that's really cool. And, and congratulations to Dr. Dew and the entire team down at New Orleans on that. All right, Amy, some good news at the end of the podcast here. Parnell Suttle, a 95-year-old retired lady up in Portland, Tennessee, has been named the Citizen of the Year for Portland. That's pretty exciting. Pretty incredible. So she's the 2021 Citizen of the Year. She baked 196 cakes for friends and events. Says she has made maybe 10,000 cakes in her lifetime. I feel that, bad that I've never had a Parnell Subtle cake. Listen, she it says, she says she's got nine different kinds. Hershey's chocolate, strawberry. Very, very impressive. They do a community outreach, then, and that got their church as nonprofit of the year in 2016, all kinds of things they do there. And this year they also got nonprofit of the year. So it's kind of a big deal. Parnell Suttle is citizen of the year. The church is nonprofit of the year. They are making quite the impact in Portland, Tennessee. We got to figure out how to get one of those cakes, Amy. You know, that's Portland is not far from where I'm from, Robertson County. Yes. Portland's up there almost to Kentucky. That's correct. I think, I mean, I think it's kind of at the like Robertson Sumner, but it's very yeah. close. It's all, it's yeah. all very close to where I'm from. So spring. All right. Well, congratulations to her as well as First Baptist Church of Portland on being named a nonprofit of the year and citizen of the year. That's really cool. That should enter her in Amy's uh, interesting Southern Baptist or fascinating Southern Baptist of the year. Man, I'm getting nominations already. People sending me stuff. Uh, that that they're suggesting. So um, usually I, I'm kind of scrambling to pull that list together, but I may uh, I may have I may have a list before we even get to the fall. So yeah, she's she's definitely be a good candidate. All right, that's going to do it for the news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, so I thought today I thought I thought this week that I would go a little more 
personal to all of us, to those who are listening and, and everything. Usually I try to pull some really obscure thing out from 50 years ago or, or whatever, but I've been very reflective this week. And I know you uh, put out a tweet as well that this, this week is the three year uh, kind of anniversary marker of the Houston Chronicle investigative report of the first article that dropped. It was a series, the abuse of faith series. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a ton to say or to go into, but there's a lot, you know, we, uh, I went back and looked at it. I started kind of looking at some of the reactions to it. I was looking at tweets that people had done in the, uh, at that time. And then I even went to our Facebook live that we did that, that evening after it dropped and, I was thinking about some of the things that we were all that everyone was talking about, thinking about, and then looking to what all has happened in the last three years. And obviously we had the update about guideposts, but there's a lot of other things that are going on with this issue as well. And so I don't know that I have a ton to say, except this is definitely a a week to reflect, to even look at the last three years. And I do believe that we have had a number of people who truly want to see a different culture where what was described in that series is not what happens in our churches. And so uh, I don't, I I think we've still got conversations to have steps to take. Uh, It is, uh, I continue to maintain that Because of our system of autonomy, the only way that we can do that is if everyone at every level comes to the table, um, because no entity or church can force the other. But if we all show up saying we want to work together, uh, we can really make that a reality. So uh, anyway, not it's a little more somber. Usually I I try to have some fun stuff, but I just wanted to to bring that uh, to to the, the top and say, some of these things that we have been talking about a lot recently and even before recently, uh, we were most definitely talking about three years ago this week in SBC history. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us to note that. And also, you know, kind of like I tweeted, our churches are safer as a result of that series. I, I don't doubt that one bit. Yeah. I believe that they are. I believe that a lot of churches who were not aware of some of the gravity of these conversations and and issues. I I believe it got their attention. And I think we have churches that are, they are beginning to ask the question, particularly that we have a lot that are putting policies in place that hadn't before, but also a lot that when, that if something is reported to them, they are asking the question, what is the right thing to do? They're they're reaching out for help. They're looking to one another to, to spur uh, each other on to doing the right thing uh, so that in particular, this concern about people moving from church to church, which was really a huge component of that series. I think, I think we have a critical mass building of folks who say that's not going to be us. Absolutely. And we're seeing that through not only the guidepost investigation, but the task forces in the states that they've laid out this past fall that are working in, I don't know what, 12, 15 states, something like that, uh, and examining how the states have done that. So I, I do think that our churches are safer. I do think that our convention has changed its direction when it comes to sex abuse because of Robert Downen and his reporting over at the Houston Chronicle three years ago this week. 
but it's good to remember this is not something where you go spike the ball in the end zone and say, okay, we've taken care of that. This is something that requires vigilance on all of our parts. No victory laps. Right. And no declaring it's a no declaring it's over. There's no mission accomplished in this. Yeah. Yeah. We are always vigilant. So. All right. Well, that'll bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is. You know, I actually decided because of because of that, because of doing this history moment, I was trying to think about if there's a resource. People will often ask me about resources to recommend. And there's a ton of different things, whether it's, uh, you know, Very well, well, yes, but we've recommended that a lot on here. We That's a that should be considered a constant recommendation. Um, we've talked about uh, We Too, which is Mary DeMuth's book there, you know, just a lot, a lot of. There's a lot of great resources out there. One that I want to recommend, and I can't remember if I've ever done it on here before, but I always think it's fine to bring some of these back up, is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Have I done that one on here? Maybe, but uh, you and I have talked about it so much that I can't track between us talking and us talking on the podcast. Yeah. So that is a book that is really about the effects of trauma on the brain and how that impacts. And it, it, it primarily focuses on um, abuse, sexual abuse, but it also actually talks about, you know, that some studies they did on veterans after they returned home from war on people who experienced traumatic car accidents. It, it, it actually was very insightful for me personally when I thought on some things in my life, uh, specifically a car accident I'd had and family members, things that they had gone through. So it was insightful and helpful, but it, it is such a great resource to begin to understand what is going on when we are caring for someone who has experienced trauma. And so I recommend that a lot to people because when we consider pastoral care, when we consider um, walking with people in our churches through something, um, we don't always know how to respond uh, in various things. And this was a great education for me. So I just decided, you know, I wanted to to figure out something that as this is on everyone's mind, we've done caring well a lot. I wanted to throw that one out there. So body keeps the score. It's one of my number one resources I recommend. Yeah. And I think the uh, effects of trauma that we've seen, we, we see it kind of with veterans. You mentioned that. I think that's one of those where it's now accepted, understood, and we we understand that that is an issue. Uh, you remember the movie American Sniper with Chris Kyle, that, that story? Right. Uh, of course, all the stuff with Vietnam veterans and the trauma that they have gone through and continue to kind of live with. We, we've seen that, and it's understood kind of in that military community. But I don't right. know if we've gotten to the point where we really understand it like that in other areas of life. And I think it's yeah. starting to get there with abuse. But right. as far as mainstream understanding and realization that that is a real problem and a real, you know, there are real effects of it. But, you know, I, I think we're getting there, but it, it, there's still some some uh, some ways to go. Right. So that's an excellent, excellent resource. My resource of the week is another podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to push our, view, our listeners away, but there's a great little podcast that I just became aware of in the past couple of weeks. Archie Mason who is on the executive committee, has a podcast on farm life. It's called That Farm Life (gasps) Podcast. It's a production of Central Baptist Church up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Oh my goodness. This is, I'm going to listen to this. It talks about the farming industry and and really kind of the impact of life and mental health and everything on that. Yes. So very similar to what we're talking about, but focused on the farming. That's incredible. 
Oh, and I got to tell you the mental health in the farming industry is a huge, it's a huge deal that the level of stress that uh, I come from a family of farmers. So I know this is your resource, but I'm now really excited to know about this. I didn't even know what they farm, baby. Tobacco. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I'm going to be, I, I, I get it. I understand there's all sorts of questions, you know, about that. My grandfather stopped farming when I was six years old. Uh, he died when I was eight years old. Um, my cousin raises cows. Hey, like all, you know, he d- does all he kinds of hay. things, but okay. well, he grows hay. He grows hay, whatever. Grows grass. Yeah. yeah. And he does. The, yeah. He's got hay bales, all that. Anyway. I mean, I come from a farming family and the it's a tremendous amount of, of stress mm-hmm. on farmers, particularly with how the farming economy has developed through the years and kind of big farm, you know, uh, large industrial farms, things like that. So this is super cool. I'm going to, I'm going to li- start listening to this podcast. You're going to have to send it to your family. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the the stressors on farmers, you know, and and I'm not a farmer, but the yeah, things I'm aware. that they can't control are right. tremendous related to their yeah, your they whole... don't control the the economy, they don't control the weather. They right. you know, they can try to control the soil composition and stuff like that, but still that's that's not totally under their power. It's just there's just so many things that farmers can't control and you you're it's a trade of faith. Yes, very much so. So there's a great uh, documentary on Netflix that's called Look and See about Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry's just, I mean, he's one of the greatest. There we go. Really leaders out there in, in, in the discussion of sustainable farming. But it demonstrates some of the difficulties and stressors that farmers have been under just because of how the industry has changed over the, over the years. But yeah. I'm excited and wish that I had known about this whole like part of Archie Mason's like life and, and uh, focus because I would have talked to him about it when I worked there. So if you're at the EC meeting in a couple of weeks, you can do that. I'm, I'm not going to be at the EC meeting in a hey, couple me. of weeks, but I can't have a meeting. I have kids here at, at home. Um, I got to be a mom. I got to be an employee. I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. And when, and right now, you know, they're still at home and the provost of Southeastern seminary has more official reasons to attend than I do. So I will be watching on live stream. With no arm else. candy for Keith, but you can say hello to him. I, I maybe will. I'll, maybe I'll ask him to go talk to Archie Mason. I can see it right now. He's going to be like, you, you want me to just walk up to this guy that I don't know, tell him that, you used to work at the executive committee, even though you guys never talked and you're now excited about his farming podcast. That's Keith's not going to do that. He's going to. Yeah. I'll anyway, I'm, I'm still, I'm excited about this and I'm who knows? Maybe listen. Archie listens. He may listen to the podcast. I maybe he does. so. And he maybe will know he does. of your fandom now. That's right. And maybe okay. I'll be at a future EC meeting uh, while Archie's still on the board. Well, you'll be I at can... the one in June, maybe. That's right. That's right. And I can go talk to him. Yes. So. Okay. All right. Well, Amy, big weekend this weekend. Who you got? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm more excited about the, uh, the nacho recipe I have. So <laughs> here's the, look, I'm going to be honest. Here's what I do. Perfect Amy answer right there. Here's what I do. I make food. 
I get a book or a magazine and I go sit in the room where everybody else is watching the Super Bowl and I enjoy I enjoy the time. I enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy and maybe I'll get into the game. I've I know there's been a lot of excitement in the games lately. So there's chance for a good exciting game and I'll get into it, sure. But you know. Now, I I honestly yeah. don't have a team I'm rooting for. There are LSU guys on both sides of this. So I'm excited for Joe Burrow. I'm also excited for Andrew Whitworth and OBJ. So So there there you go. There you go. It it'll be fun. I have I don't know what all the commercials are. It's hard for me to imagine. There was actually one that was about farmers a few years ago. That's yeah. still my favorite Super Bowl mm-hmm. commercial of all time. The Paul Harvey also, narration. Yes. I also loved the one. And actually, the guy who did this commercial, who was in charge of it, like, I don't know if he's like the producer or the director or what. His mom and I worked together. This was the one from a few years ago with the soldiers that would... They went into the room and they got to like, it was like they were virtually getting to watch the game with their family. Do you remember that? It was that like they were over in Iraq, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they walked into the room and and it, apparently it was a, because it was part of the game, it was like a super tons of moving parts to execute it. And my uh, my coworker, Christy, that was her son that produced that, oh, wow. that commercial. So that was kind of fun the next day to, to talk about that. But anyway, uh, I'll enjoy it, but. I don't have a pick. All right. Well, I'm taking the Bengals, I think. I still think they're okay. going to win it. We'll see. We'll I see. just hope it's a good game. Yes. Not like the last time the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Woof. Yeah. Well, my nachos will be good no matter what. Your nachos will be so. good. Yes. I don't doubt that. Go Bengals, and I'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.